0: Psalm 71, this is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, rescue me and deliver me. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of those who are evil and cruel. For you have been my hope, sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From birth I've relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I have become a sign to many. You are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who want to kill me conspire together. They say God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Do not be far from me, my God. Come quickly, God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. As for me, I will always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long, though I know not how to relate them all. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone. Since my youth, God, you have taught me. And to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, God. Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Your righteousness, God, reaches to the heavens. You who have done great things, who is like you, God? Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth you will again bring me up. You will increase my honor and comfort me once more. I will praise you with the harp for your faithfulness, my God. I will sing praise to you with the lyre, Holy One of Israel. My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. My tongue will tell of your righteous acts all day long, for those who wanted to harm me have been put to shame and confusion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word that in it you show us who you are and what you're about, and you show us who we are in you. So I pray in these moments as we attend to the riches of your word that you would move by your Holy Spirit to give us understanding, illumine our minds and our hearts, to see the treasure of the gospel and all that is ours in Christ. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. This past week we celebrated the 4th of July. You know, Fireworks, cookouts, American flag apparel everywhere. And why did we celebrate? Well, we celebrate the good and the promise of what America is. We celebrate, we find these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that ideal that our country has tried to be, uh, lean into and in fits and starts and imperfectly tried to live out. But part of loving where we are, part of loving where God has placed us, is being able to name and see the wrong things, the hard things as well. And I want to talk about one of those this morning. And that's how we tend to think about and treat, whether, whether even we're thinking about it, how we tend to look at aging and disability. Because I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but our society, the culture we live in, we tend to treat aging And we tend to treat disability like a shameful thing. Like something uh, that makes a person less than. I could could talk about a lot of examples, but just think for a minute how we tend to think about what the good life is. What does it mean to live the good life? Well, we tend to define it in ways that are unattainable for 95% of people. We tend to define the good life as something that's only for those who are young, energetic, resourced, and able-bodied. And so our thoughts about what we would want out of life, the good life, shuts off a massive amount of people. You can see it in the way we structure society. Again, I could list a ton of things, but just think about it. Builders didn't even consider wheelchair ramps or or things when they're building buildings until they were forced to by regulation. That's in the last few decades. We live in a society that tends to treat disability when our bodies fail as a shameful thing. Like those folks are less than, less important, less. But that is a lie. It's a lie. If you have a physical disability that has ravaged your body, you are not less than. If you have a mental illness that has stolen your peace of mind, you are not less than. If your body is failing due to sickness or age, you are not degraded. You are not lost. No matter the verdicts you've passed on yourself, no matter the verdicts other people have passed on you. I bring that up because Psalm 71 is a psalm that is about the anxieties in our heart when our bodies begin to fail. Now maybe you're there. Or maybe you're not there yet, but you're starting to feel the effects of time. Or maybe you face the difficulties of disability or someone you love does. Well, this morning, I want you to hear clearly. Jesus is not just for you when you're full of energy and you're able to do lots of stuff. You're not less than in the kingdom of God. Jesus is not ashamed of you, not at all. And that's the essence of this sermon that I want you to hear we need to root out this idea, this lie that tugs at our heart and teaches us that people who struggle with disability or aging are less than. So we're going to look at a couple of different sections from this psalm. And the first one's this God loves your body. God loves your body. This psalm talks about a relationship with God in lots of different ages. Verse 5, it speaks about God has been this person's confidence since their youth. Verse 6, it says, from birth they have relied on God, who brought them forth from their mother's womb. Verse 17, since youth, God has taught them. But there's an anxiety in this psalm. Maybe you noticed it when we were reading through. Verse 9, the prayer is, do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. Is specifically talking about the failing of a physical body. Verse 18, there's a prayer that God will not forsake them when they are, quote, what, old and gray. God has been with them when they've been able, when they've been strong, but the fear in this psalm, the anxiety, is that God will not be there in the same way when they are old and when their body doesn't work the same way. And the answer this morning is, is that God does not love you for what you can do for Him, and He never has. God does not love you more because you can do more stuff that's never, ever been true. God who delighted in you when you were young and full of energy and able to say yes to everything delights in you now and will delight in you in the future when your body has failed. God loves you whether you have all the strength in the world or you can't get out of bed. God loves you, and that means he loves your body. No matter if you think your body's too big or too little, no matter if you think you're too tall or too short, no matter what scars you have or whether your body looks the way you think it ought to, whether you're in pain or not, God loves your body. He loves your body right now. And your attitude about your own body can't change that. And no one else's can either. Not only is is His love for you not dependent on your deeds, it's not dependent on the deeds of other people either. There's not a person, there's not a disease or disability that can change that, that can stand between you and the love of God and Christ for you. And the psalm speaks about enemies. And those enemies can be people who are physically trying to Uh, be against you, but those enemies can also be things like disease. Those enemies can be things like disability or spiritual enemies, like Satan in the kingdom of darkness, but whoever those enemies may be, they cannot stand against God's love for you. As I said, not only is His love not dependent on your deeds, it's not dependent on the deeds of others either. The truth of this is seen most clearly in verse 20 and 21. Look at it again. Though you have made me see troubles, many and bitter, you will restore my life again. From the depths of the earth you will bring me up, you will increase my honor and comfort me once more. This is not delusional thinking by the person who wrote this psalm. This is a truth that they can hold on to, that we can hold on to, that no matter how life may ravage our body that God will restore us to life again, that He will bring us up, that He will raise us in honor and comfort. This is the promise of resurrection, that the wasting away of our bodies is not and cannot be the end, that our trust in God will be vindicated and He will raise us in glory where we will be made whole in all of who we are, body and soul. And if we doubt this, we look to Jesus. If we doubt this, Jesus is our guarantee. He is our down payment. What happened to Jesus? His body was broken. His body was torn apart and he was tossed into a tomb like trash. But when he burst forth from the grave, he was vindicated by God. His trust in the Father was vindicated. And he becomes a sign, a guarantee that no matter what may happen to us, we will not be discarded. We will be raised in vindication. Because God will not rest until He has renewed all things as far as the curse of sin is found, until the effects of sin in our world are overcome and healed. So our bodies, our bodies were made by God. Our bodies are good. They are marred by the effects of sin, yes, but they will not always be. Take heart in that. God loves your body and you can too. That brings me to my second section. Our calling in these bodies. One of our core values as a church is lifelong discipleship. The way uh, I wrote the verbiage was this. That we are called to value what Jesus values and follow him together through all the ages and stages of life. That we are called to value what Jesus values and follow him together together in all the ages and stages in life. Those words are very purposeful. The reason I emphasize that, the reason I wanted that to be a core value for our church is so that it would reshape our thinking about who and what matters. I don't want us to live a minute longer with the delusion that God loves us more if we can do more stuff for Him or that our calling is being on mission for Jesus to prove ourselves to Him. Jesus doesn't need us to prove ourselves to Him. This is not a church, and it never will be, for one type of person in one age or stage of life. It's really easy for that to happen in churches, and it becomes a collection of people who are at the, have had essentially the exact same experiences or in the same uh, class or, or, or whatever. That's a very dangerous thing for a church. But this is not a church for one type of person, and it never will be. This is not a church just for the husband and wife, the two-and-a-half kids, and the dog and the white picket fence. It is a church for that person, but it's not just for that person. We're not a church for just one generation. One of the beautiful things is that we are not a large church, but we have multiple families where we have three generations of that family in our church. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. We are a church with a diversity of ages And people who are at a diversity of stages in life and hopefully it'll always be so and as this church that has been brought together some of us young and full of energy and able-bodied some of us old and gray some of us in the middle with bodies starting to feel the effects of time we have been brought together and are called to mission together but this is not a mission that we come up with it is not my best idea It is not a mission that's empowered by us. The psalm writer hits this over and over again in this psalm. Notice how many times he has said something about proclaiming the deeds of the Lord and the deeds of the Lord alone. Proclaiming the deeds of the Lord. Because the emphasis for God's people is not on what we've done for God. Whether we've done lots of things or whether we've done nothing at all, It's not the point. The point is that we are people that have been swept into God's grace together. And we leave behind that stuff about here's all the things I've done, or you haven't done as much as me, or I haven't done as much as them. Every time that thinking creeps up in our head, that's not Jesus, guys. That's Satan tempting us because he understands the power of a community that has left that kind of thinking behind. Because if we can live together with this idea that we are not loved more or less because we've done stuff, then who knows what could happen in our community? Who knows what could happen in our homes, in our hearts? But the emphasis, again, is on the deeds of the Lord. The deeds of the Lord. Together we're swept into His grace and we're empowered in all our different gifts and abilities to glorify Him with our words, our actions, our whole lives. And as this happens, we become what the psalm writer talks about in verse 7, a sign to many people. A sign to many people. Now this fills me with a little bit of anxiety because what is a sign designed to be? A sign's designed to be looked at. A sign's going to point somewhere else. I've said before, if you drive down to Florida and you get to Orlando and you stop at the Walt Disney World sign, you're like, we did it, and you turn around and go home, like you missed where the sign was leading you to go. But to be a sign in this world, that's a scary thing. I hate being watched. I mean, I'm fine being watched if I'm like, Playing guitar, not here, but like in my band performing. I'm fine. I know I'm on a stage, but I hate the thought that like I'm walking down the street and somebody's watching my posture. I'm giving you guys a window into my anxiety. But, <laughs> but I hate the thought that I'm being, I'm being watched or if you ever like trip and fall and you, you, what do you do? You don't look at your leg or arm to be seen. The first thing you do is you look around to see if you've been seen, right? I hate being watched. But this psalm tells us that those who are trusting in the Lord become a sign to other people. And the question for me, at least, is, how can this not be anxiety-producing? I am somebody who fails and fails often. I sin. I treat people poorly. I say, not the best words in traffic. I mean, there's big and small ways that I do not want to be a sign. How can this not fill me with anxiety? Well, it's because the people watching me have no power to define me. They have no power to pass a verdict on me that I have to wear. And that's how we can be signs that point to the grace of Jesus. Because the people watching us have no power to define us. No matter what age or stage of life we're in. There's going to be some stages in life when you're gonna maybe be doing well at work, or you're doing well in school, and you get good grades, or you get some accolades, and you're being recognized for something you've done well. And that's good, don't hear me wrongly. Those are good things. When good things are recognized, that's good. There's gonna be stages in life which feel shameful. Maybe you mess up at work and you get fired. Maybe you blow it on the test. Maybe you don't get into the school you wanted to. Whatever numbers of things. Maybe you sin really big publicly, and everybody saw it. In those ages and stages, whether you're receiving accolades or even consequences, those things in Christ have no power to define you or pass a verdict on you, you have to wear. Only God has the power and the authority to say who you are. And if you've come to Christ by faith, you are righteous in His sight, period. You don't need to prove that to Him. You don't need to prove that to anybody else. You can live out of that. That is a worthiness and a foundation for the rest of your life that you can flee to right away, even when you mess up big. And so we can become signs because the people watching us have no power to define us. So, I, you know, I often pray that uh, God uh, use... How do I I say it? I forget it when I'm not praying. I say, um, God, use our strengths and the talents you've given us to glorify you as we lean into those things and grow in them. But perhaps more powerfully, because this is how God usually works, use our weaknesses and even our failures, that when we stumble and fall, we are not eat up with despair. We're not eat up with despair because I am not less righteous when I stumbled. I'm righteous by faith in Jesus. Now, He's working in my heart to transform me. I'm growing in grace, but that foundation that is mine by faith does not change. That grace that is mine in Christ is not exhausted. I'm not cut off from it. That is a foundation that is ours always. And so we can become signs in our strengths we can become signs in our weaknesses. We don't have to wear the verdicts. Now, my part of my following this calling in my body in this current age and stage of my life is I'm a pastor. I have the incredible privilege to be the pastor of this church, and I love it. I've had some wonderful jobs in my life. This is by far the best one. I adore this. I put my time towards studying God's Word and meditating on it and figuring out ways to communicate it to you guys so that you don't believe the lies of this world, you understand who God is and who you are in Him. But for most of you, that's not going to be your calling, and that is okay. It's okay. A pastor is not any more important in the kingdom of God than anybody else. I just have a sliver of gifts, and for this season in my life that I hope lasts my entire life, I'm a pastor but I do not have all kinds of gifts. I have lots of weaknesses, (laughs) but you have gifts. You have gifts that I do not have. You have personalities and experiences and wisdom that I do not have, and so my calling in the body in this age and stage is living out this reality that I found a love that I did not earn and cannot lose as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, but your calling may be to be a medical professional, your calling may be helping care for people's bodies or their souls. Your calling in this time may to be to help people with money, to be an accountant or a banker. Your calling may be to be a cook or a construction worker or whatever it may be. You may be a teacher in a public school, a private school, or a home school. You may just care for your family well, and that's great, and you are living out the obedience of following Jesus by faith just as much as me or anybody else who's gone as like a missionary somewhere else in the world. Or you may be retired from a career. You may be unable to work altogether, but that doesn't mean you have any less of a sense and importance of calling. You may be somebody who carries within you so much wisdom that you become a fountain of wisdom and encouragement for other people. And maybe that's not just because you made a lot of right choices that you can help people with. You may be somebody who has stumbled through your entire life <laughs> taking the wrong route more often than not. But you can be what? A sign to people. A sign that God's grace is sufficient in weakness and failure. You may be somebody who's walked through deep pain and grief and because of that, you are somebody who is profoundly safe for other people. You may be somebody, um, I mean, I could keep listening. Whatever it may be, you may be, you may never preach a sermon, you may never stack a chair, you may never serve in nursery or whatever, but God works within you and through you to love your brothers and sisters in Christ well. Whatever your calling may be, whatever age and stage of life you're in, We have different callings, and that is great. But we are called together to mission for and with Jesus to our places, to our homes, to our neighborhoods, to our city. But we do not build our confidence on those callings. I've already talked about it. But we begin from a place of rest and worthiness. We begin there. We begin from a final verdict that's already been pronounced, in a sense. We begin from a place of worthiness and love in the gospel, and we get the opportunity to live the rest of our lives in the knowledge that we are loved, delighted in by God, and we are called to open our lives, open our doors, open our homes and our pocketbooks to others that they may see the God who has given us this love and find it themselves. So, God loves our bodies, and our bodies are good. And we have this calling in our bodies to be signs for Jesus. But there's one more section I want to touch on because we have a calling together as a body. We have a calling as the body of Christ. One of the more prominent images in the New Testament for what the church is, is the body of Christ. The idea is Jesus is the head, and we're all the limbs and parts of the body. And I'm an eye, and you're a nose, and you're a mouth, you're an arm, you're a leg. And just like our bodies, we are not all eyes That would be terrifying Um, (laughs) if our entire body... Anyway, we're not all one kind of thing. We're very different people with different giftings, and we are brought together and held together as a body. A church is more than a social club, though it can be that. A church is more than like-minded people who have found each other, though that can be a good thing too. But we've been brought together and built together by God. And part of this is we, like a body, become mutually supporting of each other. In fact, that's how we're going to flourish in all our ages and stages of life because we've been bound together with each other. The truth is, in our, in our church, I've talked about us being multi-generational. The four-year-old kid needs the retiree even if they don't have this deep friendship, but just the very fact of their presence. You know, when, uh, when Angela and I first got married, we had this couple in the church we came into, and uh, they were just wonderful folks. They weren't ostentatious at all, but they had been married for, I think, 60 years. And just being able to come in and see them and think, that's a, that's a possibility. Grace has carried them, and I have no idea what my life's going to look like when I'm 75, but Grace has carried them. They'll carry me too. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Even just our presence with one another becomes mutually supportive and enforcing as we're living through and living out these callings. We are brought together and built together like a body. And so your victories become my victories. And the stuff that keeps you up at night keeps me up at night. Your anxieties become mine. And we're in this together. And our calling as a body together is to make a place that is safe and good for all of us. This psalm actually talks about, in verse 18, declaring God's power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. He's thinking, me, as my body is beginning to fail, he's thinking about the next generation to make sure they understand this love of God. And this is a calling for us as a church, not just to our kids, but it's a calling, whether we're parents or not, for our kids This is a calling to counter the misconceptions that are at work in our world so that the lies stop with us. That the lies stop with us. That we become the kind of people that we needed when we were kids. That we build a church environment and homes that radiate the love of God and Jesus, relating to each other in a way that doesn't depend on works or moral perfection, but on love and an abundance of grace. That's what a church plant is. It's almost an experiment to see if this can happen in our world. And this is what I pray about constantly and long to see happen, is the creating of an environment that, again, the lies stop with us. That the weight that we may have carried as teenagers or young adults and misconceptions about who God is and who we are in Him end with us and are not passed on that we create a gospel-centered community that's very cognizant of always keeping Jesus at the very middle. We make a place for our kids to not only hear the gospel but to experience homes in a church that is defined by the gospel. But we don't just do that for our kids. We do that for each other. It's one of the reasons why I think it is imperative for us when we are able to show up Not just for stuff, you can go to stuff anywhere, but for worship. Maybe even on the weeks when you don't want to. Because all of us are indispensable parts of building this environment where we all, all come to know that we are seen, known, and loved by God. Not by what we've done, what we've earned, and the impressive things we can do. And as we grow as a church and we begin to dream of other things that we can do together on mission for Jesus, we have to be very aware of what I said at the beginning, of not making a place that's only built for the young or able-bodied, but a place that is built with all ages and stages and people of all levels of ability and mind. Not that those folks are an afterthought, but that we purposefully make a place The elderly and disabled are not afterthoughts in the kingdom of God. They're not afterthoughts in Jesus' heart. They've never been, and they shouldn't be to us either. Our callings in the body is to recognize that we're brought together as a body. To be a community who's passionate about each other's good, who are passionate about the good of our neighbors, who are active together in shining the light of God's redeeming grace in this world. And so in close, friends, your body is good. God loves your body. Nothing can change that. Age cannot change that. Disability can not change that. And we've been joined together as a body. And God not only loves our individual bodies, He loves this body. He loves this church. And so let's join together with all of our different personalities and talents to live lives together founded on the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you I thank you that even though we live in a world that may treat us explicitly or implicitly like when our bodies begin to fail, we are less than, that you tell us the truth, that you do not let the lies linger, but that you make us know that we are seen, known, and loved, that we are delighted in children of you, whether we have the strength to do everything or we can't get out of bed. I thank you, Lord, that you have empowered us by your grace with your Holy Spirit to live out our different callings in all these ages and stages of life. Empower us to do these things and to walk in that and in all of it to rest in you. And thank you, Lord, for the body of this local church. Bind us together with one another in bonds of friendship that we may lean upon each other that we may celebrate together and mourn together and walk together and serve as signs to one another and the world around us of your love. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.